Hi, we're Josh and Arielle Wamsley, owners of Green Valley Tree LLC, based in North Wyndham. We're proud to sponsor Connecticut East this week and to serve the communities of Wyndham and New London counties with our tree removal and plant health care services. Visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com for a full list of our services or give us a call on 860-234-4041. We look forward to hearing from you. We're on the front lines with Plainfield Police Department this week as we take a ride along with them and discuss the challenges of policing in the rural northeast of the state. Plus, we take a look at other stories making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. Hello, I'm Brian Scott-Smith. In this week's episode, we're back on the front lines with our local law enforcement, this time with Plainfield Police Department that serves the rural northeast of the state. Although policing has many similarities, be that in our towns and cities or in the countryside, they all have their own local variations and challenges. Previously, we did a ride-along with New London Police and told you about how they deal with a large amount of mental health crisis calls on a daily basis, as much as 40% of those calls. And in our rural areas, police have to contend with large wooded areas where criminals can hide out and potentially evade capture or have to use massive amounts of resources to find someone if they go missing. So we're doing a ride-along with Sergeant Dan Wolfberg of Plainfield PD. Dan, thanks for letting us ride along with you. Just as like for the listeners, we're just having a quick drive. It's Sunday, it's about half past seven in the morning, which is sort of your shift from seven till three in the afternoon. Just give us a sense of, of what your day sort of will look like. Normally on day shift, any calls possible... We deal with a lot of incidents during the week take place at the school. We normally, my shift at the beginning, everybody does their patrol checks of the area. We have two patrols, North and South Patrol. Uh, North Patrol consists of Warrigan and Musa, south of Plainfield and Central Village. At the beginning of the shift, the officers hit the road. They just do their patrols of the local schools, any trouble spots conduct motor vehicle enforcement and just await calls that come in. Just give us an idea because law enforcement is in your family. It's the family business, I suppose we could really say, because you're obviously a police officer. Your brother is also a police officer, your father. So what was all the interest really about the police, do you think, for the family? So my dad became a police officer in 1985. His interest was he had his own business. He was a cobbler. A lot of the officers would come in, get their shoes worked on by him, and he got to know troopers and local officers. And uh, he was an auxiliary trooper as a young man. And he decided, once he became 35 years old, he decided to change pace, go into law enforcement where Plainfield hired him, where he worked until his retirement. For me and my brother, both of us, we just idolized our dad. We wanted to both be in Plainfield, which happened. He's currently the deputy chief and myself, day shift sergeant. I got married. My wife's cousin, Gage Griffin, he's our detective. I pushed out onto him also. Hey, you know, serve your community. He's a local Plainfield guy. He ended up getting hired here. So it, it is a family business with all of us. Me and my brother served in the Marines together, and then we, we went over here to Plainfield Police Department. And as twins, we, we had the same path, but we do it different. We're really proud of what we've done and what we continue to do. 
What's it like working with family? Because living with family is one thing, then working with family as well, and we all need a little bit of space, but you're working every day. So it's funny, me and my brother in the Marine Corps, I was his boss, and now he's my boss. We've, we've actually always been able to keep personal life and work separate. We respect each other enough. We don't have egos. Him being my boss as the deputy chief, he tells me to do something. I'm going to do it. If I disagree with it, we can talk about it. But at the end of the day, he's my boss. Same with uh, my cousin Gage. He hasn't been at us on as long, but he knows that you know with the experience we have, if we give him a task to perform, he's confident in doing it, and we help him along the way. And it's never personal; it's it's all business. And obviously, you always worry about them getting hurt or injured in this job, but that comes with the territory, and that is what it is. You try to keep that in back of your head that anybody could get hurt at any time. But it's the same with your coworkers; you're worried about that with every coworker. You're quite a small police force. I mean, not the smallest by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, obviously, some towns and villages in eastern Connecticut don't even have a police force. Of course, they rely, obviously, on our state troopers. But you're around about just under 20. You know, what does that mean when you're a smaller police force? Does it mean you're, you're tighter when you work together? Good uh, statement there because we, we just had our Christmas party. And unlike the uh, bigger departments... We have a Christmas party. We have every member of the police department at it for the most part. We're very tight-knit. You know every member of your department. You know, in some departments, mind you, I've never worked in a city department, a large department, but I'd assume you don't have breakfast with the deputy chief every morning or the chief of police. And I also assume you don't know all their significant others and their children. Here, you know everybody's family, you know everybody's wife, their friends, their relatives. It's a great environment, and as a small department, it makes us very tight-knit. We, we become close and learn to rely on each other. And also, it helps because you know you can always reach out to your coworkers if you need a day off, a swap, any anything like that, or your sergeant who you work with a close relationship on a day-to-day basis that you interact with all day. He's not just a desk sergeant that you see once a shift. You see him throughout the shift, and it's really it makes it brings us closer. Being a small department, I think it's great. Plainfield, of course, is rural. You know, what are some of the challenges for policing in the rural part of the state, would you say? Obviously, using Plainfield as my example, the town of Plainfield, we cover approximately 42 square miles, and most of it is rural. It's woods. We have blue-collar community, low income in some areas, and does pose a lot of challenges. Not only being a small department, we have a lot of area to cover, sometimes only two officers on. So you got to learn to utilize your resources. you got to learn to that each task and call that comes in is handled appropriately, but also in a timely manner. With only two officers on, you have to learn to make your time well worth it at calls and ensure that uh, officer safety is paramount. So if you have to direct officers to respond to a domestic, which normally in most towns, they send five officers, minimum two officers. Here, you may only have one officer because there may be two domestics occurring. Same with a example that comes to mind is being rural is you have a suspect fleeing to the woods. You request a canine. It's only going to be one officer going in the woods with the canine as the other officer is going to cover the town by himself because there's only two cops on. So you got to adjust being in a rural area with a, a big area to cover and numerous spots that aren't easy to get to or take time to get to. you got to be able to learn to use your resources. That's, that's the, my best uh, statement on that. 
the other thing I suppose as well is it must make for a slightly more, and I'm not minimising any other police force, but it must make for a slightly more interesting job because there's less of you. You probably get to hold on to things and, and see them through maybe more than, say, other police officers would in, in bigger departments. Would that be right? Yeah, so being a small department, we don't have the divisions uh, other departments have, such as accident reconstruction and a large detective division or a specific unit dedicated to sex assaults or computer crimes. So as an individual officer and as your baseline patrol officer, which, which i got to put out there, patrol is the backbone of every department, we usually catch something, you clean it yourself, from the officer just straight off FTO. He may be catching a sex assault where he's going to have to investigate that with the assistance, maybe a detective or the definitely the guidance of a supervisor. But the minute you get off FTO, the cases you catch, you're, you're going to be finishing them. Another example of that is fatal car accidents. For the most part, unless we need to, for some reason, we do most fatal motor vehicle crash investigations on our own. If we need to request the car's unit because it's a, a three-car accident or we're unsure who the driver was or the vehicle was moved, that, that's something we're going to do. But we try to utilize our resources and our officers and do everything ourselves because I think that makes the individual officer gain a significant experience compared to other departments. You're also quite a young police force as well. I think we were saying in the 20s and 30s, obviously a couple of the other officers like the chief, a little bit older. How does that work from an experience point of view? Because of course, you know, when you look at other police departments, sometimes they've had officers there for for a lot longer. Is it beneficial or sometimes is it a negative, you know, to like having quite a, a young force, would you say? I would say it is beneficial having a young force because usually the younger officer is, is ready to come in willing to learn isn't set in their ways and uh, they always will gain experience my whole career uh, almost 10 years on I'm still learning that's never ending and they gain experience along the way which all comes from proactive policing I believe that's something that most departments need to preach and keep up on as a field training officer and the supervisor of the field training division I, I preach proactive policing with our younger officers through their training and their time on probation I explain to them do motor vehicle serve the warrants look at the warrant list every day those are two things you can do every single day we don't know what calls are going to come in we don't we want to be proactive and reactive if you're proactive you're going to gain experience through motor vehicles serving arrest warrants doing the investigations to the fullest, where you're going to gain experience. So when that call comes in, you're going to be able to handle it, or at least you're going to have a baseline of knowledge that you can use to conduct your investigation. And how does the community take to their police force? Because, you know, we hear all sorts of different things and police at the moment are being challenged. They're trying to recruit people and attitudes towards law enforcement over the last few years have taken a little bit of a a dent because of things that have happened. But how does the community here in Plainfield feel about their Plainfield PD? So I will say, based off my dad coming up in this department and then myself becoming a member of the department, from his era, he said that the townspeople, they weren't against the police department, but it was a different time. They always wanted the state police to cover the town. Now, through my time in the police department, over nine years, the town seems to love the department. We have big community-based department. A lot of the members of the department are from the town of Plainfield. Recently, numerous of them have, have retired, but we still continue to hire homegrown officers and I believe that's very important to ensure that the values of the town are represented in the department. 
and uh, the town is is great with us. They attend our uh, union fundraisers. We attend their events. We we try to get out with the community. We did football games with the community basketball games. We do the food drive, the toy drive. We're always out in the community, and they come and support us. In the holiday season, members drop off food to the department. They come in to visit, make sure the officers are doing good. They check on us on road jobs. It's a tight-knit community. I believe the uh, relationship between the town and the department have, has never been better, honestly. When it comes to actual types of incidents, clearly against a city police department, there's going to be some similarities in policing, but there's going to be a lot of differences as well. What are some of the things which you would say are sort of like more unique to rural policing as against, you know, what, um, you know, city or town police would be dealing with? So uh, as far as incidences, I I will say... Like we spoke about before, it's just gaining experience. Through my career in, in just under 10 years, I've had approximately 1,000 arrests and a large variety of investigations. And uh, I've, I have seen it all, although not on the same level as a, uh, a homicide investigator who that's all he takes in the big cities, his death cases. But uh, we have investigated homicides. We have investigated severe sex assaults and you know fatal motor vehicle crashes. But for the town of Plainfield specific, I will say that our biggest issues, uh, and it may come as a surprise to people because sometimes you can't see it in the community, but we have a big problem with narcotics, specifically at this time heroin and fentanyl, and also sexual assault, specifically of minors. We've always had an issue with that through my career. Those are our two major problems here, not to mention domestics, which I think is throughout the state of Connecticut, especially in the northeast corner. For some reason, we have high volume of domestic abuse cases in, in the area. Talking of, obviously, the drug issue, as you say, it is sadly a big issue. It's like across the the state and across the nation. You're also the narcotics sort of lead, if I can use that term, for Plainfield Police. Talk to us a little bit about that, because that's changed for you, because you used to have a police dog, Vale, who you still have. Vale has retired and now lives with you. But, you know, the changes came about because of the police, I believe, the police accountability law and things had to change. So how much of a challenge did that then? present to to you as a as as a force when obviously the law changed and said yep these things have to change along with it as well which means your job therefore has to change as to how you approach drug issues the reason i actually got a narcotics lab was because of making a large amount of narcotics related arrests and yes it did change due to that the bill making marijuana legal bail was retired unfortunately which i think has been a huge detriment to the department i believe he could have still been used but i think we did jump the gun when it came to his retirement. I think other agencies who retired their canines also jumped the gun because he would still be able to search for hidden compartments in vehicles and what have you. And now there's a lack of uh, narcotics dogs in the area, specifically labs who can sniff people. As for the narcotics cases, I am the lead. I work a lot with the officers in the department. Some of our younger officers are Detective Gage Griffin, uh, Officer Sutcliffe, Officer Conway. They do a lot of narcotics cases. And we do always try to do proactive policing when it comes to narcotics, when it comes to plainclothes operations and and surveillance. We used to have a very tight-knit relationship with the Connecticut State Police Troop D Quality Life Task Force and statewide narcotics, which the task force was actually shut down. In Danielson was a mistake. The uh, trooper who 
recently retired Mattioli would run that unit. Me and Mattioli worked together and we had great success and I'm hoping in the future the Northeast Corner can create a program specifically targeted narcotics that multiple departments can work with and we can work together because uh, narcotics travel. They travel town to town. We may have a guy dealing in town, large amount, but he lives in Danielson or Sterling or Putnam, an area we don't cover. So on, until you can go and hit their nest, they're going to keep dealing. And, and the communication, although it was good, it can always be better with departments and we can always work together. The other thing, of course, is playing field is close to the Rhode Island border as well. I mean, do you get much in the way of situations happening across, obviously, that state line? I wouldn't say situations happen in a state line. I will say our investigations definitely carry over to state line where we do have individuals dealing from out of state or domestics that happen or crimes that occur. Example is uh, Motorsports Nation bikes were stolen there and the individual came from Rhode Island, which doesn't hinder our investigation, just makes it harder because they know once they get across state lines, we have to allocate resources to go do those follow-ups. We have to work with other departments. We have to locate them. We're not familiar with the area. They're not going to be somebody we see just driving around town for the most part. And especially with the casinos, we get a lot of traffic going to the casinos out of state, Massachusetts, Rhode Island. So yes, we do have cases and investigations that carry over the state line and the individual's who come from out of state to come to commit crime in Plainfield, which in turn makes our investigations a little trickier. Despite the fact that, as we said, you are one of the smaller police forces in this part of Connecticut, you are a police force of first, though. You were saying before we came out, obviously, today for the ride, that you were possibly one of the first police officers in Connecticut to have a body cam. Tell us about that. So uh, our department always tries to jump ahead of the game when it comes to technology in addition to any any changes in law enforcement. An example that was uh, body cameras. From my knowledge I was one of the first, if not the first officer to have a body camera in Connecticut, although at the time I did not agree with it. We were having a couple problem citizens who were putting in complaints against officers in town on a daily basis just because they had a problem with the department. Our chief, Chief Ariaga, now at the time he was the first, you know, saying, hey, let, you know, let's look into the body camps. They knew it was going to come in fact where all departments were going to get body cameras. So he went, got the cameras. I was one of the first officers to test them. And honestly, it made the job easier because now you can see, hey, the officers aren't doing anything wrong. And the, the citizens putting these complaints in, for whatever reason, you know, they can be held accountable and you're not going to be frowned upon by the community when you're saying, hey, the person putting this complaint in is wrong. It also tightened up everybody's game as police officers. So you should always be doing the right thing, but knowing that there's recording going on, you're going to be doing the right thing at all times for the most part. Another example of the technology we jumped ahead on was cell phone extraction, extracting cell phones for investigations, fingerprint fuming, DNA collection. We, we have a lot of technology in such a small department that has proved useful in our investigations and something that the department should be proud of. So, Dan, we just pulled up to a deer in the road. Sadly, the animal was dead. But just talk us through that, because, again, that's another thing that you have to deal with. You know, the police obviously get a call and then you're having to deal with wildlife. As a police officer, you also at times, even though we have a animal control officer, have to act as the animal control officer due to it being uh, their off hours to the middle of the night. So car versus deer, car left the scene prior to our arrival. Something most people don't think of, dead deer, if it's suffering, we have to shoot it. I know I would just, before I called the police, I would just move the deer out of the road in my own time, my off time, but people will call. We come out, we remove the deer from the roadway. I've dealt with llamas, 
bear reports, snakes, someone dropped a, a python in the river, skunks, raccoons. I've seen a lot of animals in my time here in Plainfield, and it being the rural area, coyotes and what have you. It's an interesting aspect of the job that people don't think of, especially if you're an animal lover. Some of the new officers get to the call, and when they they got to shoot Bambi, they get a little hurt by it, or they're like shocked that's their job. And it's an odd aspect of the job that we respond to and something people don't think of. So time now is one thirty in the afternoon, getting towards the end of your shift, Sergeant. How's it been today? So today we had a wide variety of calls. Slower day, consisting of just numerous alarms, a couple motor vehicle stops, a uh, juvenile committal, and a couple of deer calls, among other things. Overall, a smooth day so far, productive day, and now it's time to do some paperwork. Yeah, there's always the paperwork to do. Although you said it was a slow day, I mean, it started slow and started to sort of like ramp up, and I suppose that can be a typical situation. It can be quiet, and all of a sudden, all hell potentially can break loose. Yeah, 100%. Going through today with all those calls I mentioned, it just takes one more serious call to get involved. The next thing you know, the calls are stacking up, and you can have three to four calls in a hopper as you're trying to clear one call. That's why it's important to have a uh, quick response time and be able to handle the situation very quickly with the best services you can to the complainant so that you can get back on the road and prepare for the next call. Of course, we're in the holiday season. Weather's starting to turn as well. As we're recording this today, we're expecting possibly a few inches of snow. So, of course, that always causes issues as well for the police because people, unfortunately, don't do what they should and drive a little bit crazy in that sort of weather. But what sort of holiday messages have you got for the the public that they can help you? Use your head when it comes to, obviously, in uh, the holidays. A lot of people like to celebrate, consume a little uh, some of your favorite alcoholic beverages. Just just drink responsibly. If you're drinking, make arrangements so you don't have to drive. Another thing is obviously with the change in weather conditions, if the roads get bad with uh, snow, ice, just stay off them or may- make the proper time arrangements so you can get home safely. And if you see something, say something. If you see an erratic driver on the roads or a disabled motor vehicle or a crash, just call us. We'll respond. We'll take care of the uh, situation at hand. Well, it's been a pleasure like riding along with you today. Thank you ever so much, obviously, for the work that you and the team at Plainfield PD do 365 days a year, of course. People forget that it is a 365-day-a-year service, and uh, thank you for the service that you provide. No, thank you, too, and I appreciate everything you do, and have a uh, safe and happy holiday. And if you think a career in law or enforcement is for you, then contact your local police department to find out what vacancies or opportunities they have. And remember, you have to be 21 years old at graduation to become a police officer in the state of Connecticut. Some people won't give you the real talk on drugs, but it's time we know the facts. Fentanyl is often laced into illicit drugs and used to make fake versions of prescription pills. You can't see it, taste it, or smell it. Suppliers mix fentanyl into their products because it's potent and cheap, and the dealer might not even know. Keep yourself and others safe by knowing the real deal on fentanyl. Get the facts. Go to realdealonfentanyl.com. This message is brought to you by the Ad Council. Got deer problems? Let us help. With Green Valley Tree LLC's Deer Preventive Spray, guaranteed to keep deer away from your precious plants, bushes, and trees for up to six months. With cold weather on its way, deer will be looking for sources of food. Don't let your front and backyards become their pantry. Call Green Valley Tree today at 860-234-4041 or visit us at greenvalleytreeworks.com. 
Time now for a look at other stories making the headlines this week. December 14th was the 10-year anniversary of the mass shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newtown, and a local organisation is still working to see a national assault weapons ban. Edwin J. Vieira of the Connecticut News Service reports. Newtown Action Alliance, founded briefly after the Sandy Hook shooting, has been active in getting Connecticut's assault weapons ban passed. The group has also spoken with congressional officials about a national ban. David Stowe, with the alliance, describes where the U.S. is with assault weapons in the 10 years since the shooting. In his words, it's insane that people can be armed with weapons made for war. Where we are now, I would say, I think we wake up every day and more and more Americans are horrified by one about the fact that people can own those weapons, and two, that we actually have not done anything to stop them. There were some small little pieces in the Safer Communities Act that passed this summer. In the bipartisan Safer Communities Act, background checks were expanded for people under 21, and federal firearms restrictions were extended to include people convicted of domestic violence misdemeanors against dating partners. Stowe feels that in the current lame-duck Congress, a ban would not make it through the filibuster process, but he thinks there should at least be a vote to demonstrate where individual lawmakers stand on an assault weapons ban. I'm Edwin J. Vieira. The state of Connecticut's PFAS task force met for a three-year update recently at the Capitol to review the work of the 20-agency organization since it was formed back in 2019. Katie Dykes, Commissioner for the Connecticut Department of Energy and Environmental Protection, DEEP, one of the lead task force agencies, detailed some of the key areas they are already addressing when it comes to PFAS in the state. By collecting AFFF firefighting foam, which can contaminate soil, drinking water, streams and rivers, with PFAS. We are sharing information between states, our federal partners, academia, and the regulated community. We're studying surface water quality and fish tissue at and around our wastewater treatment plants, and we're addressing polluted private drinking water wells. These are some of the key areas of focus. The task force was set up after a major spill of PFAS chemicals at Bradley International Airport in June of 2019 from a private hangar that polluted the Farmington River. Robert Bruno is the director of planning, engineering and environmental services at the Connecticut Airport Authority and gave an update on where they are with their PFAS AFFF foam removal. Bradley had 13 hangars with PFAS foam. Seven of them have been removed and are now utilizing a water-based system. Two hangars uh, we're working with us now to replace with a new PFAS-free foam and that will be completed by the legislative mandate of October 2023. As far as general aviation airports, we had a total of six hangars with, with uh, PFAS foam systems. Four of those hangars systems have been removed. The Connecticut Department of Public Health is also investigating polluted drinking water wells in the town of Killingworth and have supplied around 30 private homes with filter systems to help remove the contamination while they continue to investigate the source of the ongoing PFAS. PFAS are a set of thousands of different chemicals used in everyday items like waterproofing spray, non-stick pots and pans and even food containers like pizza boxes that have been found to have long-term health issues and have been called forever chemicals because they are difficult to remove from the environment. Adults over the age of 21 in Connecticut will be able to purchase cannabis legally in the state from January 10, 2023. The Connecticut Department of Consumer Protection released details recently advising that nine existing medical marijuana dispensaries across the state will be the first to offer adult-use cannabis. Michelle Seagull is the commissioner of the Department of Consumer Protection and said initially sales will be restricted to a quarter of an ounce of cannabis flour or a cannabis equivalent, but that will change. 
we want to take an effort to ensure that we have enough supply for the adult use market, but also the medical marijuana patients. This is really just the start of a marketplace, and we now have a, enough critical mass of this grow manufacturer space to open up the market. But there's going to be a lot more businesses opening up over the course of 2023. So there's nearly 100 additional businesses that are somewhere in a licensing pipeline. The new cannabis law in Connecticut also called for social equity applications from smaller growers and businesses in areas that have been hard hit by illegal marijuana use historically. Andrea Comer, the Deputy Commissioner of Consumer Protection, said those businesses will be operating soon too. SEC has approved more than 80 social equity applications. That includes the equity joint ventures, the lotteries and the cultivators, as well as those applications that were brought back to us after appeal. Coma said it was always intended after the law was passed that medical marijuana dispensaries would be the first to offer adult use cannabis sales as the large fees they have paid for that are going towards the social equity side of the business. In eastern Connecticut, adults will be able to purchase cannabis from the fine fettle dispensary in Willimantic and the botanist in Montville after 10am on January 10th. Medical marijuana users are being advised to stock up on their supplies ahead of this date as it is expected there will be long lines at the nine dispensaries on January 10th. And the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation and the Long Island Sound Study have awarded an historic amount of grant funding to improve the health and environment of the Long Island Sound watershed. In all, federal and state officials announced $10.3 million in grants to local government, non-governmental organizations and community groups in New York, Connecticut, Massachusetts and Vermont for 41 different projects. Connecticut Congressman Joe Courtney, who's co-chair of the Long Island Sound Caucus, praised all grant recipients and highlighted an important project in eastern Connecticut involving farmers. The Nitrogen Pollution Reduction Project has received over $800,000 in grant funding and with matching funds totals over $1 million and will prevent almost 30,000 pounds of nitrogen waste from flowing into local waterways in the state and downstream into the sound. That's all from us for this edition. Do send us your questions and story ideas to the show via our website at Connecticut-East.com or Facebook or Twitter at Connecticut East and on Instagram at Connecticut East this week. And you can listen to the show again on our social platforms on demand and by asking your smart speaker to play Connecticut East this week podcast. And please like, follow and share on your social media too. I'm Brian Scott Smith. Thank you for listening. <music> 